This is episode 28 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today we're looking at how to prepare for the end of the world as we know it, Prepper Stories, Adventures in Adaptability, and because it's Wednesday, we have an interview. Today's interview is with Gary Collins, author of Going Off Grid. He's going to talk about his preparedness and also his new book. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, so a couple of things really quick before I get started. You know, last night when I, because I record in the evenings and, you know, release them, I, I really want to have them, uh, the podcast ready for the morning time. So for Monday morning, I record them Sunday night, you know, and so forth. And so uh, last night when I threw this up, threw the podcast up, I was thinking, man, did I just rant too much about the, you know, the TSA thing with the, with the kid and um, just kind of second guessing myself. You know, again, I'm new to the podcast. I'm new to podcasting. Uh, I'm getting feedback out there. This, this good feedback. I appreciate all that. But it's still, I mean, that was the first time I kind of like went on a rant. And uh, so this morning uh, when I woke up and, and did my morning routine and all that kind of stuff, uh, I did hit the Drudge Report just to see if there was any new headlines. And what do you know it? You know, top left-hand corner, uh, they had, you know, two articles about this, uh, about the TSA and, and, and this kid. And so it, it did go viral. Uh, it was crazy. I mean, the, the number of shares were, were you know, out of, out of this world, I guess. Um, one of the guys that I follow for the prophecy update that I post on PrepperChurch.com, John Haller also posted it, and that got shared out a lot from his his as well. So I'm not going to go ahead and I'm not going to um, uh, talk about it anymore. Just to say that I did read comments on on different places different places uh, online. Depending on where you went, like if it was more of a conservative slant or a you know of a liberal slant, I mean you kind of got that feedback from different people. But um, you know it, it's out there. So people are. Um, people are, are talking about it and they're concerned. So if you're concerned about it, there's a lot of other people out there as well. All right, so enough about that. Um, it, it is still something that we need to consider. And again, the whole flying thing, if you don't have to, if you want to send a message by not flying, if you if you can, you know, send that message. Hey, I want to remind you that we're doing this uh, this garden pick share. You know, show off your garden. And uh, like I said, I have some. You know, some people have sent me emails. I wish I had an easier way of just kind of sending them to me. But really, that's I think that's the easiest way. Just send them to me through email, and uh, I will go ahead and post them. If if you want to, you can give me your name and where you are and what the picture is, and I'll include all that. Or you can just you know send me a, a picture and in the um, Subject, just put, you know, garden, garden picture, garden picture share, and you don't have to send me any, any information. I'll just post it. And, uh, what I'm wanting to do, what I think would be great is if we post whatever, and I'm saying whatever you have. I mean, if you're up north and you, you're not in the ground yet, hey, don't worry about that. I mean, just, just take a picture of where you are, wherever you are right now. If you're in an apartment and you have a, one tomato plant, take a picture of that. If you do aquaponics, if you, what, whatever you do, take a picture of that right now. Send it to me, and we're going to go till uh, next Monday for that. And then about three or four weeks, uh, we'll do it again and just kind of see where everyone's at and just see the growth and, and all of that. I, I think that we, we can learn a lot from other people uh, when, we, when we see 
uh, different um, different uh, gardening in gardens and, and different ways of doing it out there. I learned a lot from uh, a person, a coworker at work. I didn't even realize they gardened, and they showed me uh, they had pictures of their garden. And I, I mean, I just thought that was great. So I mean, it's, send it in. Just take a few minutes. Come over to the the Prepper website podcast dot com. Uh, you know, get my email. It's right there on the sidebar, or you can. I'm going to share it out on the episode notes. Uh, the link to the garden pick share post. You can grab it there. Send me an email with your picture, and uh, man, that that'll be good. Well, looking forward to all of that. All right. So let's go ahead and get started on this one. I have two articles, um, and I'm going to sandwich the interview right in between. Um, but both of these articles actually complement each other. I didn't plan that, but um, they did. After I was kind of thinking about it, I mean, that, I thought that was pretty cool. So um, this one comes to us from Survival Sullivan. It's how to prepare for the end of the world as we know it. It's a little bit longer, more uh, longer article, uh, but it has some good stuff here. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. I remember when I was a teenager and saw the Mad Max movies for the first time. I remember thinking, wow, I sure hope that never happens for real. Then I saw the fall of the Berlin Wall, followed shortly after by the fall of communist Russia, where although I didn't see it firsthand, I heard about how difficult life became for the people of that country. That all gets me to thinking about how tough it was in Europe after World War II ravaged most of the countries. There were basically no, there was basically nothing left. People starving, cities destroyed, cold, hunger. People had to start from scratch again. If someone lived in an apartment in the city and their building got bombed out, they either had to try to keep living in a destroyed building or they had to leave. If you seriously want to have an idea of how Teotihuacan or the end of the world as we know it would be, just look at history after a war. World War One and World War Two decimated huge parts of the world, leaving people homeless and starving. Smaller, more centralized wars like Korea, Vietnam, and the ongoing mess in the Middle East show how bad things can get for the innocent people caught in the middle. There will be two categories that will define Teotihuacan events that can be prepared for and, ev- and events that cannot. Alright, sorry. So just saying the Teotihuacan. Uh, back in the day, I listened to an audio version of James Rawls. is one of James Rawls's uh, books. And so uh, when the author... Uh, or when the person that was reading it would get there, he would say Teotihuacan. And so I just it was having flashbacks because it sounded kind of funny. But uh, just for the sakes and purpose of this article, I'm going to say that as well. So if I chuckle, sorry, um, I'm just having flashbacks. All right, so Teotihuacan events that, can, that one can prepare for. Global war, nuclear meltdown, social collapse, economic collapse, terrorist attacks on a stressed populace, civil war, grid failure, food epidemic, biological warfare. Teotihuacan events that one cannot be uh, cannot prepare for: asteroid collision, nuclear EMP attack, volcanoes, earthquakes, ecosystem collapse, particle accelerator mishaps, biotech disaster, reversal of the Earth's magnetic field, giant solar flares, global epidemics, rogue black holes, and you want to throw in there dogs and puppies or dogs and cats having you know anyway. So, uh, state of mind. For that matter, although the war was not on our soil, the American citizens still experienced harsh times during World War I and World War II due to rationing of materials and supplies so that we could fuel the war machine. My grandparents lived during that time. My grandfather was there in the mess in Europe. My grandmother told me about how they had to make do to get by, how the kids would go around and collect scrap metal in their neighborhoods, and then the truck would come around and pick it up taking it off to be 
turned into guns, tanks, bullets, etc. They had to ration butter, sugar, flour, etc. to make sure that the men fighting overseas could be fed. So there you have it. Economic collapse and war show us the harsh reality of Teotihuacan. So look to history to see what you may be dealing with if this happens to you where you live. Seriously, what will you do? How far will you go to protect your loved ones? Here's a rather lengthy but informative video on the subject in general. So I will point out uh, there there are a lot of links and a lot of videos on this uh, on this uh, article that you want to go check out. So this first one is um, you know best survival tactics and shelf life food. I think it's uh, it you know if you've seen the the infomercials web webinar kind of deals for uh, the lost ways. I think that that's what it is. Uh, actually, when I got to the end of it, it, it was promoting that. But there's information within that uh, video there. All right, so things are tough all over. My wife worked at a dental lab in the late 1990s, and there were people who worked there that were for some of the various from some of the various countries that had lived under the shadow of communist Russia. They told stories about a very harsh life there. They would save up packaged condiments and napkins from the various fast food places and send big boxes of them to their families. They said even that little bit of nothing that we just threw away actually meant a lot to the people over there as trade stuffs. Example of the things that Teotihuacan will change. Lawlessness will ensue with no emergency workers for help. Cities will be dangerous hordes of violent, hungry people. Your job will be survival. Communication will be limited. Without gas and limited availability of auto parts, bicycles and horses will be used. Seeds will be worth their weight in gold and guarded. Survival sanitation will be a major concern. No road maintenance. Without birth control, population will soar until resources fail. Without the internet, physical books will see a resurgence. Without antibiotics, death rates will rise. Bands of intruders and looters will be a constant threat. Family and community will be needed and tighter. Growing your food will be crucial. Wildlife and natural resources will be stripped. DIY and self-sufficiency will prevail. Weapons and hand-skilled self-defense will be your protection. For all intents and purposes... Those people were living in an environment that we would now call the end of the world as we know it, or Teotihuacan. Hard times, harsh living conditions, struggle, hunger, these are all things that many people currently living in the United States have never experienced. Oh sure, some people here have experienced or may even be currently living in harsh times and difficult living conditions, but overall the last half century or so here have been pretty easy. Even still, many people already try to live a lifestyle that is self-supporting. They raise their own vegetables in a garden. They raise their own livestock or hunt to provide their own meat. They make their own clothes, fix their own cars, build their own homes, or in some cases, cobble a vehicle together from junks, junk and parts, like the crazy car in this video. So there's a, a crazy Russian homemade ATV there that you can uh, check out. It's kind of cool. Um, continuing on. All over YouTube, you can see videos of people in Russia or former parts of that show homemade devices they have created. They built these things that were made from random bits and pieces of other things to perform various tasks. These videos are perfect examples of making do with what you have and filling a need by any means necessary. Like if you need to make your own lumber to build your home or a barn, etc., you can build your own sawmill similar to this guy in the video here. This guy created a, a pretty cool little sawmill um, 
And so you got the video here of, of, uh, of what it looks like and what he did. So bug in or bug out. One of the major decisions that will have to be made if you ever experience a Teotihuacan situation is whether to bug in or bug out. There are several factors to which choice you will make when facing this decision. The main thing, of course, is your location. If you live in the city, the population density alone is enough to suggest that you bug out, move on, head out, get, get the FOD bleep out of Dodge. Uh, reason being is that, and that it actually has bleep out of Dodge there. Um, and just, so anyway, uh, reason being is that in a population dense environment, resources will be even scarcer, while the risk of bands of pirates will, even, will be even higher. Things to consider when preparing for Teotihuacan. Consider this. Do you, do you currently know of anyone that is part of a group that says if the S should ever hit the fan, they will team up together? Well, guess what? If the S ever does hit the fan, SHTF, those will be the people that will be out looking for resources. By looking for resources, I mean they will be out pillaging and you happen to have something they want or need and you aren't too keen on giving it to them. It's very likely that you will be killed. That's how it's going to be. I'm not going to gloss it over or make it sound like it's going to be some fun, wonderful experience because it's not. It's going to be a lawless time that the strong will take from the weak, a time that people will band together to survive, and if you aren't with them, then you are against them and they will most likely kill you and take your stuff. By your stuff, I mean if you have food, water, guns, medications, tools, women. Yes, I said women. No one wants to think about these things, but that's going to be part of the harsh reality. Do you have faith in mankind and think everyone will team up to help each other? Well, I think you live in a fantasy world and, in, and you are going to be in for a harsh surprise if it ever happens. Bugging in. Bugging in means you will have a place that you want to stay in, like I said above. If you live in a population-dense environment, bugging in may not be the best idea. Know your land. However, if you are lucky enough to currently live in the country or on land, or you own land that you use for hunting, or you have family land that has been in the family for generations, then you are already one up on most people. Owning land is a very important element to long-term survival. Knowing your land and knowing how to live off of it now is another bonus. If you are really concerned with SHTF scenario, then you will already have many useful skills for that. Know how to self-sufficiency feed and water. You will already garden and you will already garden and can your own food. You, all, you will already have livestock and or hunt and cure your own meat. Jerky, sausage, salt-cured meats, uh, make a SHTF DIY meat smoker, see below. These are all long-term storage foods that do not require refrigeration. So there's a, a terracotta pot, and they've turned it into a, uh, a smoker there. So there's a little picture there, graphic there. Um, having a good well or spring water on your land is also important. You need a good source of water. A large pond or lake is good too, as the water can be filtered to make it potable. Potable means it's fit for drinking. A smokehouse for curing your meats is good to have as well. A dependable source of clean water can be challenging, so collecting and harvesting rainwater can be an efficient choice. You can use a barrel under a spout to catch rainwater runoff from your roof. Just be sure to filter out small particles and organic impurities with a coffee filter, cheesecloth, or small screen. 
Other water collection methods can be collecting dew with a towel or rags, using plastic bags to capture condensation, make a DIY solar still, use twine to whisk water off plants onto a tarp, placing vessels outside including tarps in direct rain. Video of water collection possibility. So there's a, a video there of different, uh, this big old rain barrel system there. Um, know how to store. If you have a deep natural cave on your land, it can be used as a cold storage for your foodstuffs. You can make a good solid door on the entrance and even conceal it if you're concerned about thieves. You can always booby trap it too. They can't steal your food if they're dead. Okay, I think um, booby trapping is against the law. <laughs> against the law, uh, if someone was to get hurt because of a booby trap and uh, things were still in place, I think you would be in a lot of trouble. Just FYI there. But of course, check the laws in your own, in your own state and county, uh, your own uh, city there. Uh, <laughs> know what to trust. Think defensively. A family that is close and works together to help one another is also a good idea. You can try having an organized group of people made up of friends. But if something really happened, can you really trust them to not shoot you in your head while you sleep and just claim everything as their own? If you have a spot like this, a place in the country that you figure on staying in, you need to think defensively. If a group of people who got together and bugged out happen to come across your little slice of heaven, what are the odds that they will want, uh, sorry, what are the odds that they will want some of all of what you have? Perimeter defense and early warning systems are important here. Tiatwaki perimeter defense. If you have a close group, a family or whatever, that is living on some land, you need to be able to defend it against people who may have it, who have ill will. There are a few ways you can go about it. Armed patrol is one way. Walkie-talkies to communicate amongst yourselves in an armed patrol, keeping village, vigilance over you, ha, ha, uh, over your haven, sorry, are one possibility to keep you safe. The size of your patrol depends on the size of your group and the size of your land. Landmines are other options, but they can be tricked by wild animals like deer. Having a bunch of dogs that roam around your land is a possibility, but you need to keep them in close or else they will scare away wild game like deer. But right in, but right in close to your living area, dogs are good. A fire tower. Another method would be to have a fire tower in the center of your land and keep a lookout in with a good rifle. For the most part, they will just let people walk on by, but in the event that someone has already laid eyes on you and plan, plan to come in, that fire tower becomes a sniper tower as well as a watch to communicate the movement of the intruders so that you can greet the appropriate, greet them, I think it's supposed to say greet them appropriately. The drawback to a tower is it can be seen from afar and may draw people to you that otherwise would not have known you were there. Skilled community. Basically, if you have your own land and some good people that you can trust and work together, you have to treat it like your castle, a military outpost. You need people with various skills, carpenters, machinists, gunsmiths, gardeners, holistic medicine, medical training, etc., etc. In other words, you need to create your own village and protect it, a safe zone. If, however, you have land but you are alone or just have a couple of people, then you are all need to learn how to do everything that will ever need done. Defense becomes more difficult, but not impossible. Uh, and there's a photo of a pit trap and swivel top. Always stay armed. Keep the perimeter fenced and have it wired so if it, so if it is disturbed, you will be aware that someone has crossed your safe zone. Booby trap the hell out of the perimeter. Man traps, uh, punji pits, they're all, 
these are all good to know how to make. Bugging out. Bugging out may bugging out many of you say it you talk about it but do you really understand what it means it means that you have behind everything you know you leave behind everything you know or knew and you strap everything on your bov or bug out vehicle if you plan to use a vehicle let's look at that a bov or bovs if you plan to use a bov and you have oh let's say a ton of goods strapped to it what will you do if the vehicle breaks down or you run out of fuel or you get to that spot that you cannot pass in your BOV. What then? You're on foot is what then? And you can't carry a ton of your on your back. If you plan to use some form of BOV, I would suggest that you look to the jungle of Vietnam during the Vietnam War. The VC and NVA often used bicycles laden with supplies as an easy means of transport. They rarely rode the bike. Sometimes they did, but they usually pushed the bike loaded with gear. They could carry way more gear on a bike than they could carry on their back, and that bike didn't require fuel if you did that you if you did that you carry a backpack with your basic necessities like a three four five or even a seven day pack on your back you carry your weapon and some ammunition just in case you have to ditch the bike some people say they will use a four-wheel drive truck or a motorcycle dirt bike but these require fuel and they are noisy if you're on a dirt bike, someone will hear you coming and be ready for you and you will likely have no idea that they are there because you can't afford anything but the loud motorcycle. Then you become a goods donor. If you choose to bug out, you have to be healthy and strong because you will be doing a lot of walking, carrying a lot of weight. You will likely do a lot of fighting too because you will most likely come across someone that uh, chose to bug in and they are going to view you as a threat or a goods donor, or even food if times are tough enough. Or you may encounter other outbuggers that may uh, or may not want to take your stuff. Into the sunset. If you really want to know how to prepare for any SHTF or Teotihuacan situation, the reality is you better be ready now. Waiting until something happens is too late. If you are seriously concerned about this, then rather than buying that new pleasure boat or going on that vacation, spend your money on supplies. Spend your money on, the, on land. Land is always a good investment anyway. Equip your brain. Spend your money on books that tell you how to do anything that you may need to know. You know all that stuff you have stored in your computer for just in case. How will you get to it if there is no electricity and no way to charge your laptop? Physical books will see a rise in importance with no schools or organized teaching. Better buy solar charging cells so you can access those files or go buy a cheap printer and some reams of paper and print it all out and make yourself some pamphlets. You need some way to access that information when the time comes. Build your energy generation with solar powers. On that note, one of the biggest challenges in a post-Tiotwaki world will be generating day-to-day -day power with the simplest way being the sun. While many things will regress to being DYI and being made by hand, we do not need to throw out everything post-1800s. There are many solar-powered devices that can be utilized to help us generate as much power as we can, the best being the solar panel. They can be ex expensive if a, good size, if a good size with battery for prepping and hard to find when Teotihuacan hits. That's why it's best to make a survival plan by knowing how to get them by scavenging these life-saving devices the best places to scavenge solar panels. Billboards have solar panels to power their lighting. Highways and intersections have solar pa panels and batteries for their lights, strong enough for a 12-volt charge like a water pump. 
Railroad crossings have a box at the crossing with a small solar panel and a battery set that are strong enough to power small electronics. Store parking lots have parking lights that usually have a small solar panel and battery in the base strong enough to charge AA and AAA batteries. Build your stockpile. If you have 100% faith in your government, then don't worry about any of this. Everything will be fine. If, however, you are among the most sensible people that feel like one day they may be on their own, then buy supplies for just such an emergency. Dedicate 10% of your income to stockpiling supplies, dry goods, food, medicine, water, and water treatment supplies. A pond, lake, or even a swimming pool can be a viable source for water storage. You need weapons, ammunition, knives, axes, hatchets, shovels, pickaxes, saws, just tons of tools, and goods stored for just such an emergency. You need medical supplies, antibiotics, pain medication. Build your medicine supplies. Real pain meds, not aspirin or Tylenol, may be difficult to come by, but if you can get some to put up, it's a good idea to have it. Watching a loved one suffer in agony is no fun. However, keep in mind that possession of narcotics without a prescription is a felony in many places. But if society has collapsed, you might be able to find or barter for some. Make sure to know and teach anyone you are with the basics in CPR and first aid. In a post-Tiatwaki world with limited medicines and antibiotics, an unattended scratch or scrape can lead to serious consequences. A surplus field surgeon kit can be found online fairly cheap and is also a good thing to have, but you need to know how to use it. Build your stockpile to have bartering materials. Learning the art of negotiation will come into play, as the need to barter may be the only way to get what you need when money has no value. The best bartering supplies usually have long shelf lives and you can stockpile the ones you do not use. You can bet someone will want and need them and gaining leverage by having a range of supplies can only help when you run out or need something to open doors. If you would be, if it would be wise to collect anything you find abandoned in stores or dwellings or even left on the trail for future trades. Some things that can be stockpiled to barter. Paper, livestock like chicks and young animals, toothpaste, tools, glue, clothing, homemade food or alcohol, fire starters, medicines, paracord, duct tape, any unique skills can be bartered. Build a reference library. It is a good idea to have a physician's desk reference book for drugs so you will be able to identify medications that you might happen to come across. This can be handy not just for narcotics, but for other medications as well. Books to have in a survival library. Gardening and seed collection. Herbal collecting, edibles and medicinal. Trapping and tracking. Livestock care and husbandry. Outdoor survival techniques. Repairing and DIY. Homesteading. Maintaining inventory. Use reliable guides. If society collapsed, you will need to know so much information that you're not even considering right now. Having a library of books on edible and medicinal plants is always a good idea, just like having books to know how to filter water, water and cure meat. All of this information has to be on hand. Information and knowledge will be as vital to your survival as food and water. If you really want to be ready, if the, if the SHTF, then start preparing yesterday. All right, so... Long article, and it's one of those that is um, looks at um, everything completely shutting down. Uh, when you hear the word "the end of the world" as as we know it, um, you know it can mean a lot of things for different people. Um, someone who loses their spouse, and that could be the end of the world as they know it, or they lose a kid, or you know they lose. You know, they go bankrupt or whatever. That could be the end of the world as they know it. Uh, definitely all those kinds of things you need to be prepared for. I think it's good to look at 
articles like this, but you cannot be overwhelmed by it. So please listen to me carefully. If you're new to preparedness, if you've just found the website or the, the podcast on on iTunes or one of the other, you know, on Stitcher or some other uh, podcast network, and you're new to new to preparedness or or you're kind of like, hey, checking in, this might even be your very first podcast, uh, I want you to know that this is like, the real end of the walking dead kind of scenario that they're, they're trying to give you here. Um, but it's good in the fact that, well, okay. So it's bad in the fact that it can be scary and overwhelming and someone coming into preparedness would say, Oh my gosh, there's so much, there's no way, or there, these people are kooks and you know, forget it. You know, I'm, I'm running the other way, but they're good in the fact that they're giving you like worst case scenarios and all this wide range of things to kind of be thinking about. So the thing is not to get overwhelmed, but to take some of these things into consideration that you need to be, you know, you need to be thinking about. And more importantly, you need to have a plan. And so start out with the basics, right? Go look at your pantry right now or after look at your pantry after this podcast um, and you know go open it up and how many meals can you make from what you have in your pantry you know there's people that go to and I've known people that go to the grocery store every single day you know to to get the get food for dinner and uh, that's crazy so you know what do you have in your pantry right now you can easily stockpile canned food you know dry goods rice beans pasta that stuff will last forever and and so you can easily kind of stockpile that and you start coming up with a plan you know what would you have a plan to cook that food if you if for whatever reason your kitchen wasn't working let's say you have all electric uh you know uh, appliances and would, i think i talked about it the other day when hurricane ike hit uh, it was, you know, we lost all the electricity. Now, we did have, we do have gas stoves, so we were able to cook in here, but we learned really quickly that we didn't want to do it because it heated up the house so much. So, you know, do you have a means of cooking? Do you have a way to store water? There, you know, easy things that you can you can do. You know, this article talked a little bit about sanitation, or you brought up sanitation. You know, if you couldn't flush your toilet, do you have a way that you would be able to use the restroom, uh, that your family could use the restroom? You know, th those basic kinds of things. If you couldn't turn the heat on for whatever reason and it was cold, uh, you know, do you have blankets? Do you have sleeping bags? Do you have, uh, you know, clothes that you can put on that would be warm enough that would get you through, uh, you know, a couple of nights, you know, until they restored electricity and those kinds of things? So don't allow things like this, this, this article. I mean, it's good to, to, to look at these. And even if you are like, hey, someday we might be there, you know. Um, people, people have been talking for, so and I'm, I'm chasing rabbit trails again. Sorry. Um, but I, I saw this today. People have been talking about civil war and they've been talking about, you know, that for a while now. And you might not have really seen uh, any real evidence of that, maybe like rumblings up until this last weekend where uh, there was a protest between like Trump supporters and, you know, the left and they, they started going after it. You know, they started fighting and going after it, uh, you know, because I guess the Trump supporters are getting tired of getting, you know, picked on and beat up and different things like that. And so they actually did 
uh, fight. And so you can see how it would be easy to go, you know, for that to start erupting, not just in one place, but all over the place, and how that would cause a disruption. So if there was a disruption in your life for whatever reason, are you prepared? And that's how you want to look at that. All right. So went long on that one, chasing rabbits. I'm always always chasing rabbit shells. I mean, if if I'd like some feedback on that. I mean, if, if it's okay to change, chase the rabbit shells, I don't know if I would stop or whatever because things just get in my head and I just start going. Um, but I don't know. I'm curious. I'm curious to hear what you think about you know just the extra commentary there because I know I want to give a little bit of commentary, but I don't want to go crazy. But anyway, okay. So let's go ahead and go into uh, this interview. So again, this interview is by Gary Collins. He's written the book um, Going Off Grid. Uh, and he's uh, he's got a website, and he's going to talk a little bit about it. I, I'm going to link to it on the show notes. Uh, it's Primal Power uh, Method, uh, and so he's uh, you know he's been out in the community for a little while and dealing with health. Um, he's got some some good ideas in his book. I think it's a kind of it's a different take on when you read the the other books going off grid and and other books like that and i think listening to him is going to make a lot of sense there um i have a copy of his book and it, and it looks it looks pretty good i mean it looks like it's a it, it's a good read so if you are thinking about going off grid um this is definitely going to be a good interview for you to to listen to and then he's got other other things there that are going to be important so when i uh when i do an interview I'm, most of the time they're written, so I will send because again I'm doing this late at night. I, I just you know that's kind of the way that I want to kind of stay with it um, since I'm doing the reading, you know. So I'm re I send them uh, questions that they can fill out and send back to me, or if they have the means to record their answers, they can do that. And so um, Gary does have that means. He does have a podcast. He's going to talk a little bit about that as well. Old dudes, new tricks. And uh, I will link to that one as well. So he does have the mean to, uh, or the means to record his answers. So he's going to read the questions and record his answers and share them. So uh, a lot of good information. So we're going to go ahead and go to that interview right now. Question one: Tell us a little about yourself and your preparedness. Please include why you started prepping. As hard as it is to believe, I, I grew up in a very small town in California. And actually, I even grew up in a town smaller than that small town because I lived 25, 30 miles away from the town that I attended school. The town I grew up in only had about, I want to say, 50 people in this little community. And then the town that I went to had 2,000 people. Uh, the county is the most least densely populated county in California. So there are there are the sticks in California, believe it or not. Um, played sports, did all that kind of good stuff, grew up hunting, fishing outdoors all the time you know had you know we hated it growing up well, all of us said it was boring couldn't wait to get out not realizing later on life you go wow how lucky was I but I grew up uh, very poor we you know we grew up uh, pretty close to living off grid actually grew up in a single wide trailer we had our own septic our own well we did have uh, public utility power and phone but that was it we didn't even have cable back then we had you know one of those antennas on the top of our trailer we got like three channels and they were two of them were fuzzy so yeah uh that's how i grew up and then from there i ended up going to college uh moved into you know big city san diego 
And then from there, ended up uh, going to the military. I was in military intelligence and was a federal agent for about 20 years. So through that kind of evolution in life and living in larger cities, traveling all over the world and everything, I kind of wanted to get back, you know, to a, a simpler life. And not only that, but after I left, I wanted to do something completely different than going back as a government contractor. So I created my company called the Primal Power Method. Uh, there was a different evolution thrown in there. As anyone who started their own business knows, it, it changes here and there. But Primal Power Method was about basically using my experience at the end. I worked for the FDA and U.S. Department of Health and Human Services as a special agent. So I had this unique inside knowledge to how our food, drug industry, and medical industry all worked. And it was uh, pretty scary, to say the least. Uh, it opened my eyes to a lot of things. And from there, I've always been in health, played sports all my life, was always involved, started training people in my 20s, helping people work out and things like that. So it was kind of a natural evolution for me to start my company based primarily on health, uh, wellness and, you know, exercise. So I've worked, worked with clients and from there, you know, sold my own supplement line, created my own supplements I sell today, wrote books called The Primal Power Method uh, book series. And from there, that's where my off the grid book came from. And that in, in, in my preparedness was kind of the evolution of getting back to where I came from. It was wanting that simpler life, you know, less hectic, more land, freedom. And that's where a lot of my preparedness comes from is freedom. That's why I started my own business. That's why I made sure I could run it remotely. Uh, I live in my travel trailer half the year. So I run my business remotely from a laptop and a Wi-Fi hotspot. Um, it took me years to figure out how to do it, and it was not the easiest thing to do, trust me. But my preparedness, again, comes from the pursuit of, of freedom is the best way for me to put it. So my off-the-grid house, having the land, you know, I, could, I have enough land, I, you know, I can't see my neighbors. It's, it's part of it, but the preparedness also came from realizing that the government cannot take care of everything. Even though that's the way we live today in America, everyone expects the government to take care of them. Being on the inside and learning, I had a perspe different perspective of I better learn how to take care of myself and do a better job and be prepared for anything. You know, natural disasters uh, happen all the time. Flooding, earthquakes, fires. You know, so you're always you always should be at least minimally prepared, just like, our, you know, our, our grandparents were just 100 years ago. You know, uh, well, I'm old enough. My grandparents were or my were around almost 100 years ago. I'm not quite that old, but uh, you know, lived through the Great Depression. They lived through World, you know, World War II. So they had uh, the the you know the stock crash, the whole bit. So they knew that they had to be prepared. And actually, for them being prepared was if things went bad. Uh, my grandmother told me they really didn't even know. Because a lot of them were living on ranches, farms, were self-reliant, self-sufficient. You know, life went on as normal. You know, they didn't rely on outside sources or the government to take care of them. So that's kind of where I came from, from my preparedness angle. What specifically about your personal preparedness are you most proud of? For me, the, the personal preparedness that I'm most proud of is my off-the-grid project. In putting it together, anyone who's done this, 
uh, even homesteading, you know, homesteading, live off the grid, they're, they're separate things. They can all be combined into one. But just because you live off the grid doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a homesteader. If you're a homesteader, doesn't necessarily mean you're living off the grid. There's just different facets of the lifestyle. And for me, it was that because living off the grid is incredibly challenging. Luckily, you know, I had a little bit of a background in uh, this was the third house I'd built in my life, even though none of the other two had been off the grid. But I at least had a, a basic understanding of the house building process. And, and I owned several lots and I'd remodeled homes, owned some small fourplexes over the years. So I had the basic understanding and, uh, and understood how to buy land and do that. But even with that, this was a whole new animal. I had to start from scratch. I had to learn everything all over again. And the knowledge I had did help me. But it could it didn't prepare me for some of the, the difficulties and hurdles that come along with building a house off the grid and, and doing it because I did it a little differently because I'm doing everything by code. Um, in the end, I'm going to have my owner occupancy certificate, which means I can actually get an equity line on the on the entire property. So I'm going about a little differently than what, how it's traditionally done. So for me, this whole project, uh, you know, it, it started in my head t- over 10 years ago. So the last three and a half, I've actually put it into plan and, and, and working on it. But again, that's that's what I would be most proud of in my preparedness. Tell us about your book. What is it about and why did you decide to write it? My book, Going Off the Grid, uh, the how-to book of simple living and happiness, is about my journey. Um, my journey was more was multifaceted in the sense that there was many pieces to it, and it's also a, a do-it-yourself book. So not only do I tell you how I did it, but I tell you how you can do it as well, because I don't come from you know a lot of money. Great means I had to scrape everything together just like anyone else would. But my book basically is an A to Z. That's the best way to describe it. And it starts from, you know, downsizing, you know, of how I had to downsize my house that I was living in a normal suburban neighborhood in Southern California, going from that that three-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath house, two-car garage into a much smaller 500-square-foot and less. I think it was like 475. I measured it one day cottage that was further out in in San Diego, a little more remote out there in the journey, you know, sh- you know, selling all my stuff that was in the house, getting ready of everything, purging, finding all these things that I'd bought that I'd never used. So I talk about a lot of things, the emotional aspects of stuff and how you should, how you can do it. Do you want to rent your house? Do you want to sell your house? Do you want you know, jump in with both feet right out of the gate, which I don't recommend, um, and it's about kind of my plan and how I did it step by step. So the downsizing, the, uh, you know, going from that to living in my travel trailer after I lived in the cottage for four plus years, then from going from the, the travel trailer, which I still live in today. Um, but going from that transitioning, living in that, then finding the property, buying the property, figuring out my plan. And going through, you know, the whole building process from dealing with, you know, building roads, security systems, dealing with contractors. A lot of people have told me the chapter on on dealing with contractors is worth the money of the book alone. I've been dealing with contractors for 20 years, so I have a pretty good 
good idea of how these guys work. And even with my knowledge, uh, they're, they're a tricky beast. They're, they're hard to deal with. Anyone who's done any building knows, um, you know, and also the, you know, just going through the building for us, what, what type of, of materials, different types of houses, size of houses, teeny home versus a uh, more traditional home, uh, you know, and going from, you know, even basic tools, what kind of basic tools should they have? Understanding water rights, how to set up your septic system. You know, everyone thinks you can poop in a bucket. Uh, that's not necessarily true. You know, or I have an outhouse or you could just throw something up. It doesn't matter. Uh, I, you know, and I talk about all that, that, you know, there's Google Earth today. My little town had high res images above my property. So if my little town up there of, you know, it's less than 2000 people or maybe 2200, I think I may have my numbers wrong. It's small and it's the biggest town in the county. If they have the resources to be able to see what's on my property, pretty much anyone does. So you don't want to hide stuff and talk about doing things to code and that. And that's basically a lot of what the book is about. There's a lot more to it, but that would be a very long-winded answer. But the reason I decided to write it was because I actually went on a show and, and they asked me what I was up to next. I was talking about my health books and I said, hey, I'm, I'm – bought 20 acres. I'm building a house off the grid. And from that episode, instantly I got questions and people are, how'd you do it? How are you doing it? How'd you find your land? And I, I'd already bought every, the land I was already started. Um, just in the beginning, I went, Oh gosh, I better start documenting this and maybe figure it out. And just from this kind of organic strain of questions or string of questions, the book evolved. I wrote a few blog posts that created even more interest. I was recording videos on YouTube showing the progress, I was getting even more questions. So the book came from actually people being interested in the project. I was doing the project no matter what. It had been, uh, you know, a long time dream of mine to do what I was doing. Just so happened to find out people were interested in it too. What feedback have you received from your book that is the most surprising to you? Probably the most surprising to me was people are just very thankful that I wrote it. There's just not a lot of information out there. I went looking and I pieced together some stuff, but it was really incomplete or poorly organized or people. It was more about um you know, throwing a very simple structure up and, 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 you know, it was more of a seasonal place or a place to put relatives or, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't full blown. I couldn't find anything that started A to Z in my brutal honesty. You know, I, I, I expose all my screw ups, all the mistakes I made, you know, I don't candy code. Anyone who knows me knows I don't candy code anything. Uh, life's too short. I'm too old. I got no time for that. So I give you the facts. It's, it is what it is, good or bad. Uh, and that's probably been the most surprises. People really appreciate the honesty and the fact that I did the book because it gives them a place to start and a basic template that they can follow. What part of your book would you like to make, make sure that the readers pay careful attention to? Probably for me, I would say and this is from feedback to is dealing with contractors. We'd love, and I had people go, Oh, just do it all yourself. 
you know, I've got, uh, I've got, you know, I've had back surgery. Uh, I have some major injuries over my life. The last thing I want to do is be at the top of a hill with no help, uh, you know, 25 feet off the ground because my house is pretty high. It's two story with uh, a pretty elevated uh, roof on it. I, for me and for most people, you're going to have to get help and you're going to have to get the help in the form of contractors, subcontractors. You may have a general contractor run your entire project and have subs. I I run my project. I'm considered the general contractor, but I had a guy, another general contractor who was supposed to manage it and did a horrible job. And I ended up, I've ended up going through two contractors firing um, general contractors and dealing with them and the headaches involved. So pay real close attention to that. Don't be too quick to jump in, uh, you know, on the lowest bid or just a contractor who's ready to roll. Do your homework. I let this the, one of these guys kind of give me the song and dance. He was referred to me by the the county inspector, and he didn't do it. He didn't know the guy. It was one of those he had heard he had done good work. He gave me other contractors. This one was the one who, like I said, gave me the song and dance told me everything I wanted to hear and just took full advantage. And that's how these guys are. A lot of them, you got to be really, really careful with contractors. There's shows all over TV about bad contractors, ruining people's lives, causing divorces, bankruptcies, all kinds of things. So that's the one I would pay the most attention to because I think it is the most critical part to your project. Probably besides that and, you know, selecting your land and making sure you have access to water, those those fall right in behind. So that's what I would hope you would pay the most attention to. What else would you want preppers to know about your book? I think for, for preppers out there, the, the main thing that I would want them to know about my book is that I don't write about and I'm very well known for this. I don't write about anything I do not do or have done in my life or have direct knowledge of. Um, I don't like to write hypotheticals. I like to experience it and share my experiences with people in order to help them out. And I don't write these books. Trust me, I self-publish them. I write them. I have a lot of work, a ton of work put into these things. I write these books to help other people. And I figure, hey, if I'm going through these experiences and people show an interest in it, it's kind of almost a duty of mine to be able to relay that information and videos and social media, all that stuff's great. But a book to me is forever. It's something that you can always put on your shelf and use as a reference piece of material. And I also write my books that way as well. I want them to be timeless. I want them to be 10 years from now. You could still pick it up, grab it and learn something from it. But that's what, uh, that's, I think what I would like, uh, you know, preppers to know about my, to know about my book. Do you have any upcoming projects that listeners might be interested in? Yeah, currently, um, I'm, I'm always writing. Uh, I have the manuscript ready for the next book, which will be kind of, uh, kind of, I would say almost a survivalist from my point of view, prepper ish, depending there's so many terms. Um, but it's going to be kind of what my interpretation of a survivalist prepper, self-reliance type of lifestyle is and what it should include and kind of go through the steps. So that'll be a while. I wouldn't be looking for that thing immediately. 
But the main thing I'm working on right now is a new podcast that I started with a buddy of mine. We actually went to boot camp together in the Navy. We've known each other 25 years now. Uh, don't try and guess my age. Um, but uh, yeah, we it's called Old Dudes, New Tricks. And we cover just a wide variety of topics. We've already started recording. Uh, by the time you hear this, we'll probably be up to nine or ten episodes. And, you know, we just we cover everything we possibly can. But it's primarily due about aging, getting older, but not just getting older, trying to get better. Learn from our experiences. Figure out, you know, how can we be healthier? How can we uh, enjoy the, the latter years of our life? Not being sick in bed, hooked on, you know, pharmaceutical drugs and miserable like uh, it seems like uh, our country wants us today to keep us feeding off the trough and keep us spending money. So it's a lot about that. It's a lot about getting getting your life back, taking steps, learning how to deal with stresses in today's life and and just a little bit of everything. We have very interesting guests from, you know, a, a hemp farmer to a former Navy SEAL who did 25 years, a good friend of mine. So a little bit of everything, health, fitness, uh, entrepreneurship, prepper, survivalism, you name it. We're going to hit every topic we possibly can that has to do with getting older. How can interested preppers connect with you? Links, social media. Oh, The easiest way to connect with me is my website, www.primalpowermethod.com and all my social media is linked there. There's a way for you to contact me via email as well. Another way is my new podcast, Old Dudes New Tricks. So it's www.olddudesnewtricks.com. We have all of our podcasts there where you can download them and go to iTunes as well. You'll find us there. And all our social media is linked to there as well, but those my website's probably the easiest way to get in contact with me or connect with me. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, that interview with Gary Collins. I think there's a lot of good information uh, that he that he provided. And again, like I said, I think his book is it's definitely worth uh, a, a read and to look at if you're interested in going off grid and it's something that you're you know you're wanting to do. Um, he, he mentioned a lot of that information, just like some good points of just dealing with contractors. Uh, I, I was having a conversation, just not even preparedness related, with someone else uh, not too long ago about dealing with contractors and, and how uh, he thought it was going to be really easy, and it, and it didn't. It turned out to be uh, more trouble. So anyway, um, let's go ahead. We're going to go ahead and go on. Uh, again, I'm going to link to his website. I'm going to link to his uh, to a podcast, and I'm link, linking to his book on Amazon if you want to go ahead and go get that. Um, so that will all be in the show notes, episode 28. And so you can easily get to all his information there. So uh, go check that out. All right, so we're going to go ahead and uh, this is the last article that we're going to read. Um, this is coming to us from The Organic Prepper. And like I said, this one, uh, I feel that it complements the other one. Um, because this one is talking about adventures and adaptability. And so we're going to hear from Daisy, and uh, we're also going to hear from some other people in her community. All right, so let's go ahead and, and read this one. When things go awry, do you instantly try to return to normalcy, or do you think about ways to adapt to the situation? Adaptability will make you much a much better prepper. Did you ever see a flower growing out of a brick wall or a crack in the sidewalk? 
That flower is blooming against all the odds because it adapted to an unfriendly environment and found a way to grow and blossom despite the concrete getting in its way. And we as preppers can be likewise adaptable. Here's what got me thinking about this. We're moving in just a few weeks and the propane in our rented tank has run out. So because I'm cheap, I'm frugal, I'm not getting it refilled. It's a rented tank and it's being picked up by the propane company when we move. Since the folk, folks moving in after we leave own a propane tank that they'll install. The company won't give me just a little bit of propane, so to save several hundred dollars, we're going to just live without it for a few weeks. Our own adventure. This is far from the end of the world. It's not an earth-shaking emergency by any stretch, but it's an interesting adaptability challenge, right? At our house, not propane... No propane means no hot water, no dryer, no stovetop, no oven, no central heat. But there are numerous easy solutions to all of these concerns. Having all of the things above at the turn of a dial or a flip of a faucet are luxuries rather than necessities. There are lots of other ways to acquire hot water, heat, and food. Figuring out ways to do things outside of your normal method is a great mental exercise for emergencies that make life anything but normal. My long-suffering children are pros at this. By now, they know that resistance is futile when mom says, Hey, this will be an adventure. Let's do an awesome experiment. We can boil water with an electric kettle or on the wood stove, shower at a nearby campground for a small fee, hang our clothes, which we usually do anyway, cook using the kettle, the wood stove, and the crock pot, Reheat using the microwave. Heat our house with the wood stove. Easy peasy, right? Sometimes you have to be flexible. One thing I want to add is this unusual time can call for unusual measures, like the microwave. We hardly ever use a microwave and had to dig this out of storage. I'm pretty sure using it to reheat things for a couple of weeks won't be a terribly big deal. We're eating food that isn't our normal fare. Store-bought, sourdough instead of homemade, frozen organic waffles, and things like that. This isn't a long-term lifestyle change, but a temporary adaptation to a situation. It helps a lot to be flexible. Even though we generally eat a from-scratch organic diet and we don't nuke our food for a couple of weeks, I'm going to be flexible on those points. Decide which points are essential to your health and well-being and which ones can be subject to adjustment during an adventure. You will fare much better if you can go with the flow in these kinds of situations. Currently, at about 6 a.m., there's a fire taking the nighttime chill off, uh, off our house. There's a sink full of dishes soaking in three kettle worth of hot soapy water, and there's a homemade vegetable soup simmering away in the crock pot on the counter. We have a fresh loaf of sourdough from the market to have with our dinner. For breakfast, there are frozen waffles for the toaster and some fruit. And for lunch, we'll have burritos made from canned beans and store-bought tortillas. Yum. We're not suffering one bit. Ten preppers preppers share their stories of adaptability. I asked the community over on Facebook to tell me about situations during which they adapted so that I could share the information here. In every single story, they showed creativity, frugality, and a willingness to be flexible and adapt to situations that were beyond their control. People like this will survive when everything changes because they are willing to accept a different reality and figure out a plan on which to act. They didn't waste time crying or complaining. They simply adapted. 
check out their fantastic and inspiring stories below. Number one, Stephanie. We lived at our cottage for eight months while the house was being built. For various reasons, there were only running water for half, half that time and never to the shower. We had neighbors who offered a hose from their place and we could gather water from a lake just down the road. We collected water off the roof and bought water for cooking and drinking. We didn't end up using the neighbor's hose or the lake, but that roof water barrel was pretty low on moving day. It was fun to see how far we could push it. Number two, Deb. You reminded me of when we built our house. We dug a hole and lined it with a plastic and filled with rainwater from the roof. It was our bath for a while. We could empty and refill every few days. And that's some serious adaptability there. Uh, Valerie. We boiled water for baths when our water heater went out and we couldn't afford to replace it. Uh, Rebecca. Our dryer died almost a year ago but came back to life the other day somehow. It was really weird. So we started using the clothesline for everything, even though the wind, even through the winter, which was a challenge and there were some days when I just had to haul the laundry to grandma's to use her dryer because it was non-stop raining for days. Upside, the electric bill has been dropping. The oven died right before Christmas though, fortunately not the stovetop. That one has been a bit more challenging to work around. But my mother-in-law has loaned us a countertop convection oven so I can at least cook meat. We also have a countertop toaster oven so we can cook small batches of things. The oven situation is not one we're going to try and live with any longer than we have to. But I'm also thinking that going a summer without it would be much more comfortable inside. Aaron. Yesterday I came home to a driveway blocked by a pile of dirt that had obviously been dumped and left. I had a good idea by whom, the city. I parked, got out, and retrieved tools to clear the path. Right then, I snapped a pick or two, but made it gone so I could access my property. Once clear enough to drive, I called the city to lodge a complaint, called the hubster to alert him, and took some more photos. The city workers had gone home, and my garden and lawn were still under dirt with rain on the way. Monday was the soonest they could look into it. I told them that would find they would find the dirt roadside on city property and not to bother coming back to my property that I would handle it. Fix it, move on, stay safe, and don't waste time on worthless bureaucracy. Nikki. After Hurricane Katrina, it was weeks before we had electricity running, water was a problem, and there was no way to get gas for the generator. We figured out how to do things pretty quick. Gail. I grew up in a dirt poor family with five children in a two-bedroom hole. No hot water. We boiled it and carried it to the tub. No dryer ever. We washed clothes in cold water in the tub without soap most times and hung them around the inside of the house to dry. One burner on the stovetop worked. No oven. We ate loads of mac and cheese with pork and beans. No furnace either. My father used a garage heater and damn near killed all of us. Nobody died. We survived. I'm ready to get through darn near anything. Bring it. Mimi. When things go awry, I'm immediately thinking about how to get back into a new groove, also known as normalcy, but that always involves adaptation and flexibility too. When I was completely out of action after surgery recently, Hubster had to take on all my household roles, which is my full-time job, as well as his own, his usual chores and doing everything for me. He was overwhelmed at times. 
After I suggested he stop and breathe, we literally made a list in a booklet of what really needed doing now, like my medical needs, what was semi-urgent, like laundry and meals, and what could wait, like calling this person or that, cleaning house, and making the bed. This helped him see things as a conglomerate of smaller tasks rather than one big old mess. He naturally started to prioritize tasks and relax that some things could be put off till the weekend. We also established new routines that worked for him, not me, like supper followed by cleanup, then my shower and my medical needs. He'd get his work clothes out for the next day, put the kettle on for our herbal teas, and we'd sit and watch TV together, somehow creating a new normalcy along with us both adapt, uh, adapting worked. Karen, years ago my hubby changed jobs and we went a couple of weeks without with very little money. The house we rented had no washer dryer so for those two weeks I washed all of our clothes by hand and hung outside. You just prioritize your needs and find ways to make do. Helen who wins the internet with this story. (laughs) Okay childhood home in rural Greece. We had electricity for lights but not much else. Running water at not at not in the house and when there wasn't enough pressure it was shut off by the water department and we had to haul from a central well Propane two burner stoves that used a small tank the size we use here for barbecue grills for daily cooking. Lots of amazing delicious stewed braised meals in the kitchen with the flue above for ventilation. Actual ice box with ice delivered weekly. Coal stove to heat in winter. Outhouse. Ours was fancy. We had a toilet but had to dump water in it to flush. Boiled water to wash. Wood burning oven inside. Fired up once a week to make bread and a roasted meal. All laundry done weekly by hand. No machine to wash or dry. And everything, yes, even drawers and towels, needed to be ironed because the water is so hard that clothes practically stood up until softened by ironing. So yeah, I could make it through just about anything. Here in California, I've been known to move my countertop oven outside in the summer and to use the camp stove on the patio when it gets hot because I'm too cheap to run the AC. I also line dry everything but whites and towels year round. Believe me, you've got this. Do you have some stories to share? I want to hear about situations in which you adapted. Please share your stories in the comment sections below. So if you get a chance, you can run over to uh, Organic Prepper and you can drop in some of your stories there. But uh, the point is, is that adaptability you know, uh, having that adaptability and flexibility, uh, you know, it mindset is very, very important when it comes to preparedness. And so you take that first article where it's the end of the world as we know it. And if you look at it and you allow that to completely just you freeze and you're not able to move because of that, um, that's that, you know, you're going to have a hard time. But if you're able to be flexible and you're flexible now, right, you start doing that kind of stuff now you start doing and you know when you need to do it um you hear stories about the great depression and what people the the little that people had and they made do with it they they were very ingenious they came up with all kinds of things that uh you know ways of cooking things and and ways of making life better and that's what you do i mean that's that's really what preparedness boils down to it's not the end of the world as we know it that's gonna suck if that ever happens that's gonna suck right but 
You know, we prepare so that we can make life better, and we prepare so that uh, you know we're able to handle life as it as it comes. And so we know that there's some things that we put in place. You know, now there are some skills that we learn now. There are some ways of thinking and rationalizing and reasoning, uh, critical reasoning now, so that you know when life starts throwing things at us, we're able to navigate that and able to get through it. So. Good point. Good points by uh, by Daisy over at the Organic Prepper. Hope her move uh, goes well. Uh, I think she has moved, uh, but uh, so I hope it it goes well. She gets settled in, and I hope she gets some propane. Right. So uh, so uh, hot water, hot shower, all that good stuff, and so a lot of good stuff there. Uh, I hope you you enjoyed it today. So uh, if you get a chance, stop by the website, the Prepper website, podcast.com. And drop me a line in the comment section or, or hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Uh, you know, I, I did post, uh, I did post, in talking about the garden share, uh, I did post on my Instagram, my marigolds were getting eaten up, man. I, I went outside one day, they looked good. I go out the next day, I come home from work, and in, in actually it was the morning time. I go out in the morning time, and it's like one of them was like completely, all the leaves were eaten. And I snapped a picture of that one, and I put it up on Instagram. And I actually shared it, and I and I uploaded it into the show notes of episode 28, so you can see what I'm, I was talking about. But I'm like, marigolds, what in the heck? And so uh, did a little bit of research, and it was you know pretty much snails. So I ha- I save all my coffee grounds. So I have a big five gallon bucket out there, and I just you know kind of just empty it out into there. And so I went to town, spreading out coffee grounds all over the place, and uh, I did not see any more damage the next day or this morning. So I think hopefully that remedies it or remedies it. Uh, you know, I have been seeing a lot of snails. It's, it's kind of weird. I have seen a lot of snails, uh, and that's kind of new just since last year. Um, but uh, I, they didn't give me too much trouble last year. But all of a sudden now, I'm seeing they're going crazy. So uh, dealing with it organically. I don't want to put a bunch of junk, you know, into into my uh, garden beds and my vegetables and stuff like that. And so uh, you know that's going to be big too. I think there's a lot of people gardening out there. We're putting a lot of gardening articles on Prepper website right now because uh, people are gearing up for that. I know there's still a lot of you up north that are in uh, still in the snow. Or at least still cold and you're not able to put things into the ground. So, uh, you know, I, I know you're getting ready for that. But, uh, you know, gardening is, is a thing that we do, right? Gardening is a thing that we do. All right, so again, thanks so much for uh, listening. I, I wish you the best. If you're looking for more preparedness information, head on over to PrepperWebsite.com. We post uh, great articles there daily. Until tomorrow, uh, please stay prepped and aware. Peace.